we are going to be walking through um, the Sermon on the Mount. And so th- today I just want to give a bit of an introduction to that. And hopefully within that introduction, give you something that's imp- you know, helpful and useful for you in your everyday ordinary stuff of life. Because faith in Jesus that detached from the reality of life is really no effect at all. And so what we believe is that following Jesus changes everything. We believe that when, when we put our trust in Jesus and want to pattern our lives after Jesus, it changes every part of our life. It changes how we, just, how we, how we view work, how we view family, how we view the world. Um, not because we think it's a nice idea, just because we believe who Jesus is, who he says he is. Now, I recognize that both some of you this morning, I'm talking about Jesus and you have absolutely no idea who he is. I recognize that, and so I'm, I'm trying to understand, uh, try and help you in terms of the journey, but some of the things I will say will be really for uh, people in, in the church will understand it and get it, and you, maybe you can ask afterwards and say, well, Ian said this, what did he mean by that, because I don't quite understand it. Um, maybe some of the things will be familiar to you because of a, a history you've got in terms of whether it was when you were at school and you went to a CV school, or you were forced to go to Sunday school when you were younger. Anybody forced to go to Sunday school when they were younger? There's a few, not so many nowadays, but there's a few still being forced to go to Sunday school. And so I want to I, I help you just try and understand. If you don't understand anything, that's fine. You can talk to me after or talk to the person that you've come, come with. Now, we're going to be reading from Matthew's gospel. Now, Matthew is an eyewitness of Jesus. So he was in and around Jesus when he, he was on earth and he was doing ministry. So Matthew is, is, is an eyewitness to the accounts of, of everything that we would read in Matthew's gospel. But he's also really concerned with underst- people, uh, his readers, largely Jewish audience, understanding that who Jesus is the promised Messiah. So in, 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 in uh, the people of God, is God's people, Israel, they had this idea, this understanding that God would send a rescuer, a savior, who would come and save them from all the things that were bad and all the things that were wrong, and that they would deliver, he would deliver them uh, into the promised land. The land that was good, the land that was plentiful. And so Matthew is really concerned to make sure that his readers understand that this Jesus who's now in operation in Galilee, doing some incredible things that we'll look at in a moment, is really who he, he says he is, and it can be traced all the way back through history. So we're going to be reading from the Bible, and you, you may have read it before, you may not have read it before, consisting of our Old and New Testament. Now, there's a really helpful phrase that I've come across by listening to a podcast um, called The Bible Project, and they have this saying, it's, this is a unified story that leads to Jesus. So the Old Testament, that large bit there, right, is all pointing towards Jesus. And so when we talk about Jesus in this, this morning, we're talking about the very same one, the one who was promised long ago, who, is, who came to earth, sent by, by, by the Father for a reason, for a purpose. And um, we can help you explore some of that. Because I realize that in that moment, a little bit of church ease maybe for some of you. But for some of you who understand and are, are walking with Jesus, I want, you to, I want you to grab a hold of this. This Jesus isn't just somebody we can pick and choose what we want to do. Because Jesus is either really who he says he is, or he's not. And if he's not, then you carry on on your merry way. But if he really is, then actually it's going to impact everything that we do. So should we read the Bible? Excellent. Because if I don't say anything else good, what I'm about to say is awesome. 
All right, because I'm reading the Bible. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. When the news about him spread throughout Syria, uh, sorry, sorry, then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, all those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, uh, epileptics and the par- uh, paralytics, and he healed them. Just a four-word sentence in my Bible, and he healed them. Interesting. Uh, large crowds followed, uh, uh, followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. When, the crowds, uh, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. So what's going on? Like, what is, what is all this about? Well, Jesus is, is uh, oh, Matthew is actually setting the scene for what is about to follow, about, about what he's, he's going to explain through the rest of his gospel. He's saying, this Jesus, um, this Jesus began to do incredible things in Galilee. Now, why Galilee? So if Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, if he is really the one that was promised long ago, then surely the best place for the Jewish Messiah to go is to go to, well, Jerusalem. Yeah? Go to Jerusalem. The center of religious activity, center of, of, every, of, of Jewish life. Temple was there. Everything was in place in order to be able to fulfill that, that, that promise fully. But Jesus, um, Jesus didn't choose Jerusalem to be the base of his ministry. He chose Galilee, a place that was around, had a, a population of around 300,000 people, I think, scattered over 200 towns. There was no major cities, lots of towns and villages. A place really of the unknown. It was largely made up of people like you and me, people who were non-Jewish, what the Bible calls Gentiles. Okay, people who are not part of the, the, the heritage of the Jewish people, but just ordinary, just ordinary people like you and me, with no religious uh, affiliation, often uh, pagan worship and all that kind of stuff that would have been in and around at those times and actually still in other parts of the globe today. Um, and so Jesus chooses Galilee, a place a little bit earlier in Matthew's gospel that was referred to as a place of darkness. Seems like a little bit harsh, doesn't it? Do you not think? Like, to be called this place of darkness. Why, why darkness? Well, it's not that it was literally dark, because it was as bright as, as, as it can come. The sun was shining. It was beautiful landscapes. So what is he actually saying? Well, this place of darkness is a place that is far off from God. It's remote from God. It's, it's as far as you can possibly get from him, because they do all manner of things that are not the way that God intended things to be not patterning their lives after Jesus. So he chose Galilee. And interestingly, in Galilee, news about Jesus spread and spread quickly. But Matthew's at pains to say this is why Jesus came. So if you, if you want to know why Jesus came, you, you, you want a quick synopsis, just look at these verses because it tells you exactly why Jesus came. It, tell, it tells you the pattern of Jesus' ministry, and it also will tell you something of the effect that Jesus would begin to have on the lives of those who would come to him. And so we have here, um, in, 
the way that I'm going to break this down is into three, three points, if you like. If you, if you like points and you're taking notes, you'll, you'll work well with this. So the first thing is that we see about the life and ministry of Jesus is that these, uh, it's about words. So the words of Jesus. He was preaching and teaching. Now, you might say, well, what's the, what's the difference? Surely, Ian, you're doing a bit of, what are you doing this morning? Are you preaching or are you teaching? Well, let me tell you what Jesus did. Jesus would talk to large crowds. Jesus was not against crowds. In fact, he, he, where Jesus was, people wanted to be. And where people were, Jesus took the opportunity to do two things. He took the opportunity, one, to preach, which is to proclaim the good news which was to proclaim truth, which was to pro- proclaim the coming kingdom. He didn't, want, he didn't enter into dialogue or debate. It was just simply, this is what is. And he would say it to people who didn't necessarily understand. Because that preaching, the, do- the proclamation, is just a, a, a proclamation of truth. Because Jesus, being truth, was the only one who could actually preach truth and proclaim truth and speak truth. And so Jesus preached now, in this text, we get the idea that he's before a crowd, and he's preaching, and he's teaching. So this morning, you're, you're, you may be not a follower of Jesus, and I've said that a few times, because I recognize that in any gathering, we can have a little, all mix of kind of people. And you might be thinking, Ian, you're just preaching at me. Uh, I'm sorry, yes. <laughs> um, but I hope in some of what I say, I'll, I'll be able to teach something that will help to draw something of what I'm preaching. And so Jesus preached and he taught. Now, Jesus in these crowds is thought that actually he's teaching and speaking to a largely Jewish audience. So people who have got this anticipation that the Messiah is going to come in, and they've heard some things about Jesus, and so therefore they want to come and see who this Jesus is. And so Jesus takes the opportunity to proclaim some truth and to teach some things. And so teaching then is helping to explain the pattern and the way of Jesus. So Jesus wasn't a healer who happened to say some things. Jesus was a teacher who happened to heal some people. So often we can think about the, the you know, and in our, we're a Pentecostal church, we're in a Pentecostal church, and sometimes we can get carried away with the, the miraculous and we seek after the miraculous. And actually, uh, that I am not against those things because I've experienced some of those things, but what do we do when some of those things don't happen? It leaves a lot of questions, doesn't it? Like wrestling, I don't understand why sometimes uh, uh, things happen in a way that, for somebody, but it don't happen in another way. I, I, like you, am left with a lot of questions. So if we base all of our activity on the miraculous, what do we do when it doesn't happen? Now Jesus, being the Son of God, being the only one who had all authority over all things, when he spoke, things happened. Because he has all authority. Now I'm preaching. He has all authority. And so when Jesus speaks and Jesus does something, it happens because he can. So often what we, um, what we major on is we major on the miraculous and get disappointed when it doesn't happen. And actually what Jesus did, if we want to pattern our lives after Jesus, I think primarily the, the, there's, a, there's a preaching and a proclamation aspect to what we do. So in this morning, I'm, I, I, as I said earlier, I, I kind of apologize for preaching at you, but I don't. Because actually I want to preach the, and proclaim the truth that Jesus is king. And if you want to know life and life fully in the here and the now and the life to come, it's only found in Jesus. 
that's, that is the truth of the scriptures as proclaimed. Not my truth, Jesus' truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father. No one inherits eternal life except through him. Not my words, the words of Jesus, proclaiming truth. Now, the other thing about an aspect of this morning is that I hope that through proclaiming the truth, it will provoke some interest and go, well, Ian, you said some things I'm not quite, I don't quite agree with. Fantastic. Because I'd love to have a conversation with you afterwards. Not to try and convince you, but just try, try and talk to you about some of the, your thoughts or feelings, or objections maybe, and see, why, um, see where we can go. Because Jesus, Jesus didn't major on the miraculous. He majored on this teaching and proclaiming of the kingdom of God, the proclamation of good news. We like good news, don't we? Good news spreads really quickly. And so does bad news, but we like good news. But in order for there to be good news, there's got to have been some bad news. But can I just say, where most churches and uh, preachers go is that they start with bad news and then get to good news. And we don't go, well, why was there bad news in the first place? Because surely we're all, we're all nice. Surely we're all good. Um, I would like to think that most of you are nice in this room. Most of you are. Try to do, live a good life and a life that is honorable and pleasing. Not, not necessarily to God if you're not a Christian, but to, just to others. So what's, why was the bad news? Well, let's start with the good news. Just a couple of words right in the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Are we going to stop there? Because I recognize there's going to be a whole host of different ideas and thoughts of what that might look like and how it all came to being. But in the beginning, God. God created Whatever that looked like, we believe that God created, and, and it goes throughout those Genesis 1 and 2 of, of creation account, but there's some words in there that are really important. When he made it, he made it good. So in the beginning, God made everything good. And what did that look like? Well, that looked like us in relationship with God, unbroken relationship with God, knowing him and loving him and being, stewarding the earth in the way that he created it. Now, there's, been a, there's a lot about creation care in the, in, in the press at the moment, climate change. That's not new. That's not like a new phenomenon. That was actually something that was in the beginning when God said to, 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 to humanity, steward the earth, look after the earth, tend the earth, care for the earth because it's mine. And in caring for the earth, you're going to give glory to me and represent me and know me and, and, and have fine joy and life and peace. Who wants a bit of life? Who wants a little bit of joy? Who wants a little bit of hope in a world of bad news? Anybody? Thank you, Mark. So we started out good, which meant we could know God and understand him. Something happened. Is that humanity thought that they knew best. Humanity thought, oh, we can, we can do this on our own. We, oh, we, uh, there was little, little pointers saying, well, can you really trust God? Is he really that good? And they believed a lie. And it caused this separation. So the thing, the thing about, can I say a little three-letter wor uh, word that we don't really like to talk about? Sin. Three-letter word, sin. Right, we don't like to talk about sin. Because, well, it makes us feel a little bit awkward. But the thing about sin is not, you don't, you're not a sin, we, we don't sin. We, we're not sinners because we sin. We are, we are sinful 
and we sin because of our position. Our position outside of Jesus. So rebellion against God causes separation of sin, which is a rebellion against God, which means we can't experience all the good things that God has. So sin, we, we do things that are wrong because we're outside of God. Now that is true. That was true for me. I'm not going to confess those things now because believe me, we haven't got time. So th- we do things because of our position outside of Jesus' relationship to God. What happens with the good news, and this is the, the creation, the, re- the redemptive story, is that Israel... God's people rejected him. The pattern throughout the Old Testament is rejection, confession, repentance, restoration, all of that kind of story of of God's people. Because it's true of humanity. It's It's true of you and I. So the redemptive story is that we couldn't do for ourselves what only God could do for us. We just couldn't do it. We couldn't fix ourselves. We can't fix our brokenness. Again, we, there are things that we don't like to talk about. We don't like to talk about the fact that this, uh, this world is broken, the systems are broken, I'm broken, and yet in the midst of the brokenness, we see some beautiful things, don't we? We some, see some glimmers of hope. We see beautiful expressions of creativity and justice and mercy and kindness, expressions of God's character that overflow. Where, did it, where does it all come from? Well, it comes from here. This is, this is his. And yet we, we, we understand and we recognize that things aren't right. So redemption, the redemption story of Israel was all pointing to Jesus because the sacrifice and all the systems of the old couldn't cut it, but Jesus could because he's perfect in every way. And so when he preaches about the good news of the kingdom, he's not saying you do this, this, and this. He's saying the kingdom is here and he is the king of the kingdom. And so where Jesus is, his kingdom reigns. His kingdom isn't a political, geographical kingdom. His kingdom is ruling and reigning the hearts of people across this globe. So that wherever his people go, his kingdom comes. And therefore, for you as Christians, for me as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, it's really important that we pattern our lives after Jesus. Not to try and attain his pleasure, but because we've already got it. Because the way that people view us, the church, will be a representation of what they see about the God in whom we serve. And so if, 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 as followers of Jesus, to believe his teachings, to walk after his way, to be recipients of good news, to pattern our lives after Jesus, to receive Jesus as king, is to live under his authority. So the good news of the kingdom is that what you and I couldn't do for ourselves is that Jesus did for us. And it leads into this promise of, of, uh, of, of, um, of, of restoration. Because remember what I was saying in the beginning, that like God made everything good. S- stuff went wrong. Sin entered the world. Separation from God. We did our own thing. In the, in the course of time, the Bible tells us that Jesus will make all things new. Well, there'll be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain. No more brokenness, no more broken relationships, no more, no more striving for significance and all of that kind of stuff that's in us that we find out, uh, can find out that we in. But actually when Jesus establishes his, his kingdom fully and eternally, 
all things will remain new. I, uh, like you, I only need to switch on the news and hear stories of, of typhoons that are about to hit the Philippines this morning and who knows what damage is going to be done in, in the Philippines and praying, God, would you avert that? If it doesn't, Lord, help us. Hearing of famine and, and persecution and, and just sorrow across the globe, even in our own, our own nation, we've seen, we see so much. If there is no hope, then where do we go? So the hope for, you, for the Christian, the hope for the follower of Jesus, the hope and the promise of the kingdom, the good news is that Jesus will make all things new. And how do we live with the tension of the here and the now? Because the reality of it is we don't see the fullness of it in this life, do we? For, you, for us as follow, for followers of Jesus, we realize that there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's that which is to come, but in the here and the now, we, we wrestle with so much. And as we walk with Jesus, <laughs> the understanding of who he is begins to uh, shape us more and more. And I think, John, I, I, I haven't had a chance to listen to your sermon. One of the things you'd said, like, I think, in your message a couple of weeks ago was often we have this idea that people come to faith and everything's sorted, everything's, everything's new, everybody's brand new, everything, there's no more mess, there's no more gunk, there's no more brokenness, and oh, well, they should be behaving a little bit better than they are. That's not the reality. So when we talk about the coming of the kingdom, it's not, it's not that all of a sudden everything is, is, is okay. What it does mean is that we might need to pray for broken fingers. <laughs> what it does mean is that we are surrendering, we are coming under the acknowledgement that Jesus is who he really says he is. And we're, gonna, we're, we're, committing, we're committing our heart and our life and our way to follow after him. All right, so he was, he was a man of, man of words. The second thing, I told you it was going to be four hours. Uh, the second thing is the works of Jesus. So what did Jesus do? Because the demonstration of the king's authority was, was, was shown through the things that he did. He, what, he healed all, all kinds of diseases. Every disease, sickness among the people. Um, various diseases, demon possession. As we read, as you, if you were to read uh, chapter 8, in chapter 9, you would see the works of Jesus demonstrated, declaring, showing his authority over sickness. He has all authority. The one who made the heaven and the earth, the one who made us in the beginning, has all authority to heal. So when Jesus spoke a word of healing, when the woman, in fact, he didn't even need to speak, when there was a woman who had this issue, of, of blood. When she touched the hem of his garment, she reached out in faith and she was healed because she had this understanding of who Jesus was, reaching out that only Jesus could fix what the doctors couldn't. When we talk about the spirit, evil, the spirit, uh, demon possession, we, we don't like that. We don't necessarily talk about that too much in the UK because we don't maybe see it in the same way as we would in other, uh, other parts of the globe. But to say, to say something of that, is what Jesus is really communicating is that there, there is an unseen realm of, of, of I'm not saying good and, good and evil, but don't be misunderstood. It's not dualistic. It's not like Star Wars where there's equal forces of battle. There's good and there's evil, and everything submits to Jesus. And so in the unseen realm, everything submits to the lordship of Jesus. So when Jesus 
speaks to somebody who's been influenced and affected by unseen things, spiritual forces. And he says, be gone. What happens is that person is liberated. That person is set free. That person it begins to understand and see something of the way that they were intended to be. Because what Jesus is actually about is about rehumanizing us. To make us and create us and craft us into the people that we were, already, we were originally intended to be. And so his work and his activity is about that restoration of life in us as we walk with him. I said earlier, I don't understand why some people are healed and some people aren't. I've experienced some of that in my own life. When I was, um, when I was about, oh, how old would I have been? Maybe eight, nine, something like that. Um, I, I broke my collarbone for the second time. Anybody broke the collarbone before? How painful is it? Oh, man, I was in absolute agony. Real agony. Second time of doing it. And I was playing football in the, in the school, school gr- yard, the playground, and, and I bumped into somebody. That was it. It all happened. Broke my collarbone. Anyway, I'm in bed, and I'm crying. I'm in agony. Absolute agony. And my, uh, my mum comes in to pray for me, and my, my collarbone was, was like that. Okay. I hope you're not squeamish, but it was, it was, it was awful. It, the doctor said it's going gonna, it's gonna to heal with a lump. It's going to heal with a, it's just, it's just not going to be straight. And, um, and so I, I, my mum comes in and she just prays for me. Just simple prayer. And I felt excruciating pain. Honestly, excruciating pain. It was, it was, it was worse than before. Like, thanks, mum. Um, but what actually happened when I went back for some x-rays is that the bone had moved. And my, my collarbone now has, has no lump. It's not, it, the doctor said it would heal with a, with a, with a fracture of bone, and it's, it hasn't. There's nothing, there's nothing there. Strong as the day I was born. I'm not sure that works. <laughs> um, but there's other times where I've prayed for people and it's not happened. I've prayed, oh, would you, would you intervene? Would you, would you heal commanded and all kinds of things and it's not happened and I'm going what is that all about but the hope the hope is not not everything in the here and now will all be fixed because it won't the hope is that which is to come it's that that we point to that is the good news is that King Jesus will come back he will return he will establish his rule and his reign his kingdom will know no end and now I'm preaching, and some of you are sat there thinking, what on earth do you want about Ian? I'd love to talk to you about Jesus and his kingdom. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus and his reign. Because you might be sat there thinking it sounds strange, but really, it makes sense in light of who Jesus is and what he proclaimed and who he proclaimed to be. The other thing is this, is the wonder of Jesus. The crowds came to him. The crowd, this was before the church, right? This was before the church and, and, our, and our insatiable desire to get people into church. Right? We, oh, let's get people into church. I don't want you to come to church. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't want you to come to church. I want you to meet Jesus. Because he changes lives, not the church. 
The church is full of messed up people like you and I, but Jesus changes lives. And the more you journey with people in the church, you realize the messy, but you also realize that Jesus begins to transform people. So I, am, I would like to think, and maybe my friends and my wife will, t- will confirm this, is that I am not the same person that I was four years ago. That something of the work of Jesus has been active in me to bring some transformation that hopefully points a little bit more to Jesus. But we're a mess. So Jesus, Jesus pulled people because he was attractive. He was attractive. Who wouldn't want to be with Jesus? When, when he speaks, the storms stop. When he speaks, the, the sick are healed. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. So why would we not want to explore Jesus? Why would we not want to be captivated by Jesus? We'll not talk to you about the stuff in life because actually that's for Jesus to sort out. I can, I'm not going to say, oh, you're a sinner. or As for Jesus and you and as you walk in community to begin to understand and allow God to work out. Jesus changes lives. And so the crowds came to Jesus. Now, the thing about the crowds is that some loved the crowds because it was, it was anonymity in the crowds. We could see what Jesus was doing from afar. They could see what, he was ha- what was happening. We could bring the sick and he would, say, he would heal them. Uh, and then they'd get on with a merry, merry way. The same crowds that came to Jesus were the same crowds that, cru- that sought to crucify Jesus. So don't misunderstand the crowds with effectiveness. What Jesus did, and in in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says this, that the disciples came to him. So there's two kinds of followers. You can follow from afar and spectate, or you can follow up close. Now, in the the preceding verses, Jesus calls, in that that account, four, four guys to follow him. Now, they actually think that the, 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 the apprentices of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, was, was larger than that, but there were certain, it was 12 guys that he invested in intentionally. They followed Jesus, which means to be an apprentice of Jesus, which when you're an apprentice, now I was talking to Matt yesterday about apprenticeships and, and just the, some of the way that he's worked um, with, with Callum, learning, um, learning a, a trade, like off, come, come with me. Don't sit in the classroom. Come with me. Like, so how are we going to do this part? Well, that's what Matt was saying. Because actually the way of learning is, is in the doing. So Jesus had a group of people that would be around him because he would show them what to do. There's, there's, so there's two kinds of following. Follow from afar or follow up close. And the thing is, Jesus will never force you to follow him. Never. Jesus never forced anybody to follow him. So I'm not trying to force you to do anything this morning. I'm simply offering an invitation to you that if this Jesus really is who he says he is, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay in the crowd from afar? Fantastic. Because in the crowd, looking and observing, Jesus would call people out to follow him. Or are you going to walk away from him? Or are you going to move near to him? Are you going to move near to him and pattern your life, seek to pattern your life after Jesus. Over the next few weeks, months, years, decades, we're going to be walking through the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus, that actually are about the way of Jesus. It's about helping us to understand what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Because we're all apprentices, 
We're all learning, and we all need, as followers of Jesus, we need one another to help us live this life. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I'm so glad that you are here. And I hope after this that you're glad that you are here. But seriously, there are people in this room that would love to talk to you about some of your questions, some of your observations, and walk with you as maybe you begin to seek who this Jesus is. Because he does have all the authority. He is the one who rules over all things. And he is the coming king. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for your, uh, your life and your work. I thank you, Jesus, for your words. Your words are powerful and carry authority. Your words shape lives and change destinies. You came to, to seek and save those that were far off from you. You came to change lives, to, to change everything. Jesus, would you help us, your, your people, your church, to be good news people in a world of brokenness? Would you help us, Jesus, to point people to you, not to the institution of the church, but introduce them to the family of your, of your, of your body, the church? Family. People who are walking together to seek to know what it is uh, to, to live this life after you where love and grace and care and compassion and kindness are manifest. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us afresh, whether we've been walking with you for years or whether we're just exploring or just here because we're responding to an invitation to come to a, dis uh, to a dedication. Wherever we are, Jesus, at whatever point, would we be captivated by you? Would our hearts and our eyes be open to see you so that we may respond to your invitation? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.